brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Time for another Harley Quinn rewatch. Uh, we have the co-creator, Patrick Schumacher, has been uh, talking to me about season one of Harley Quinn. It's running on Sci-Fi Channel, and uh, I felt like it was a good opportunity, now that the bigger audience has a chance to watch Harley Quinn, to uh, look at the show episode by episode, get some behind-the-scenes facts. Uh, this is about episodes 5, 6, and 7. I released these separately as YouTubes last night as soon as the episodes aired on Sci-Fi, as soon as they were done. And uh, weekly I've been uh, presenting the audio of these uh, for you to listen to at your leisure. And uh, Harley Quinn's a great show. It's fantastic. And it's really fun talking to Patrick Schumacher about uh, the development, the ideas that happen in the writer's room, uh, design uh, changes, all this stuff, casting choices, very interesting stories about the creation of this very, very funny series. Patrick Schumacher talking about episodes five, six, and seven of season one of Harley Quinn on today's Word Balloon, brought to you by my friends, the League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is now 15 years old, not quite old enough to uh, drive or drink, but uh, certainly uh, mature in podcast years. And uh, it's uh, due to the good graces of the League of Word Balloon listeners, their subscriptions via Patreon. Thank you very much. Patreon.com slash Word Balloon. Thank you greatly for your support, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by Aftershock Comics. Great things are happening in Aftershock as Diamond starts to roll back into operation. Aftershock will be there the week of May 20th with a brand new book, Disaster Incorporated. And then the following week, May 27th, with Bad Blood. Two brand new books coming from Aftershock Comics. There's also the great back stock and back catalog of Aftershock as well. Go to their website, you'll find full story descriptions, preview pages of art, and the diamond codes on how to order these books through your local shop at AfterShockComics.com. All right, let's get into it now. Three great conversations with Patrick Schumacher. Actually, we taped them all on Sunday morning, the day that uh, the episodes aired on Sci-Fi Channel of Season 1 of Harley Quinn. Episodes 5, 6, and 7 is the topic of discussion with Patrick Schumacher talking Harley Quinn on today's Word Balloon. Welcome back, everybody. It's time for another Harley Quinn review of Episode 5, 
which is being Harley Quinn. This is John Suntress from the Word Balloon Podcast, and I'm happy to welcome back co-creator of Harley Quinn, Patrick Schumacher. Welcome back, Patrick. Hey, John. Great to be here. As promised, different clothes because it's a different episode. <laughs> so uh, we can get into Got my this. water burger hat on. Yes, indeed. I know we were just talking about that off the air. That's right. Your days as uh, the fry master at Whataburger, indeed. Um, we uh, we start with, uh, well, where do we start? I'm looking at my notes right now. Uh, uh, Harley and the crew are shopping for a new lair and are being led by a real estate agent, which uh, is always a, a good moment and everything for, for comedy. It's ironic because years ago, uh, it never actually got written, and it's okay. I mean, I'm not I'm not claiming anything saying this, but I actually had a, a premise for a real estate agent not realizing that they are, uh, uh, you know, uh, selling a house or showing a house that uh, would have been like a Wayne Manor with a secret headquarters of a superhero, and she oh, has cool. no idea what she's showing, but just kind of goes along with all the crazy gadgets and trap doors that pop up and stuff like that. And it's like, isn't this great? Hey, look at the underground grotto where the uh, bat boat used to be. A swimming pool, everybody. Isn't this fantastic? So that kind of thing. So We stole that, John. No, yeah, yeah. We found it. We found it in one of your drawers. In my mind. You used Dr. Psycho to pry this from my brain. <laughs> so, no, honestly, that is a good idea. I don't very, very different, but but very funny. And honestly, no, if anything, I was really like, oh, that's good. I thought it was a good press, too. Well, I don't want to read yours. <laughs> I'll, send, I'll send you breakdowns. I do have – an artist did go so far to break it down for me and stuff like that. So. Oh, that's awesome. That's a, that's a good idea. <laughs> Um, funny stuff, man. No, it's cool. And again, you know, no, no, no lair is good enough, obviously. And again, great Easter eggs. We got a former Mr. Freeze lair and a couple other layers and stuff. Yeah. Lots of Easter eggs in there. Um, a random Easter egg just for us. It was cathartic. We, in the, in the Mr. Freeze one, this wasn't a DC thing. This was a, uh, Justin and Pat dead pilot <laughs> nod. We shot a pilot for the CW, a lot of which took place in a, uh, Chuck E. Cheese style uh, kids pizza place with animatronic creatures called Dizzy Squirrels. So that was the the nod to the the animatronic band that was frozen over in the Mister Freeze lair it was called Dizzy Squirrels. So that was a you know we we're like well if we can't get a show on the air about it we're gonna make it a background element in Harley. <laughs> so that was that and uh, and yeah then uh, then Harley's you know this a lot of this first season was about you know Harley's identity. You know, who is she now that she's broken off from the Joker? Who is she without being so enmeshed, you know, in his world? And yeah, so so our real estate agent is kind of trying to get uh, Harley's decisive about where she wants to, her lair to be, what she wants it to be. The real estate agent is pushing, who are you? You know, what represents you? And Harley has this breakdown. <laughs> and yeah, we wanted, we wanted uh, a way to get it literally inside of her mind uh, you know, via Dr. Psycho. And so this, this mental sort of, uh, brain, brain freeze, uh, you know, uh, I think Psycho called it a fourth category for brain freeze or something like that, uh, uh, happened. And, and, uh, really, I think a lot of this came from wanting, wanting to figure out a way of, uh, having someone walk into a, a group wearing suicide squad t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> laying on the ground like they're a suicide cult. Uh, the idea for the whole episode may have derived from that, honestly. But uh, but yeah, um, here we are. We you know, Psycho uh, using his powers, uh, 
we're starting to flesh out what his powers are in the show. And, and uh, yeah, he tells everyone to literally squeeze their butt cheeks together <laughs> in a circle. <laughs> so they don't shit themselves <laughs> while, while he brings everybody's astral selves into Harley's mind, essentially. And then everybody passes out on the floor wearing Suicide Squad shirts, which we just sort of chalk up to this, uh, this group that keeps trying to get Harley to join. She does, eh, They send her shirts. Eh, it's not interested. James Gunn on line four, everybody. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I'm trying to do a sequel. What are you doing, man? Don't diss the squad. That was fantastic. Much, uh, I, I really appreciate that. Much like uh, a joke that happens in the second season that's kind of an inside joke, and uh, that's cool. And once again, DC upstairs. Yeah, all right. Go ahead. No problem. No problems making fun of the Suicide Squad. Yeah, no, they were they were totally cool with it. Uh, and uh, and also just, you know, making this statement that like, oh, the Suicide Squad exists, you know, Harley's never been a part of it, um, that their methodology is a lot more, uh, let's say, humane for trying to get people to join. They send them T-shirts instead of implanting <laughs> explosives in them. But uh, but yeah, yeah, maybe Amanda Waller in our world is a lot more uh, woke. Um, <laughs> I like so, uh, I'm actually it's funny. I'm, I'm, I'm going back. uh now during quarantine and uh, reading for the first time ever the whole Ostrander run at the behest of, uh, I don't know if you know, Alan Seppenwall, TV critic, huge Suicide Squad fan. He's been trying uh, to get me to read the whole Ostrander run. And so I'm finally making good on that promise. And That's I'm, excellent, I'm- man. I, John's a friend. And honestly, I think, you know, God, it was one of the exciting books of the 80s. I mean, you know, I've recently talked about it again with Mike Gold uh, because he was the editor. And, uh, yeah, no, I've talked about it for years with John. And it's great. John is John's an amazing writer because he has these crazy ideas, and he's one of the most mild-mannered, like, writers. You wouldn't expect these crazy ideas from John. But it's uh, – I love it. And, yeah, I, I think the original Suicide Squad run is is good. So good on you, man. Yeah, it's been a fun read. You can really see those, the inspiration for the, you know, the David Ayer film in there as well, and and uh, yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, in our in our episode, you know, we've got we 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 have Psycho uh, as sort of the you know the the tool to get everybody inside of Harley's mind so they can unbreak her. They've basically got to go into her. Uh, he thinks it's going to be in and out, right? Wham, wham, bam. Thank you, man, ma'am. I'm done in two minutes. I think is what he says, and and uh, he thinks he's just going to go into her brain and pull a lever, and it's easy peasy, right? Right. Um, and so, yeah, it was, you know, it, this was a, a vehicle to get sort of a lot of backstory in there and a lot of Easter eggs with regard to Harley's past and how we want to portray that in our show. Because mm-hmm. obviously we've, we've taken a, a few liberties. I mean, if you're a hardcore Harley reader, you know, her her backstory has been told in you know numerous ways. Um uh, depending on, on the book that you're reading. And, and so we thought it was okay to kind of, you know, do our version of it, right? There's no sort of sacrosanct sort of, you know, uh, singular uh, origin story for Harley. And we're going to make this kind of her redo of an origin story. So no, brain, I thought, her brain. Yeah. I thought, yeah. No, I thought that was great. And also, you know, you've got the classic moment where she dives into the chemicals, but that's the question. Did 
did Joker force her to do it? You know, what, what was going on? And um, it doesn't interfere with anything that we've known before in the past. And also, I kind of like how it parallels uh, what we know or don't know about the Joker and that there's several different reasons that might have been the trigger for, for the Joker over the years. So I like that Harley's got that kind of same situation. Yeah, you're right, and it's yeah, it's it's like everything kind of happened uh, objectively and on the surface. Everything you think happened happened, but what is the real core truth of what happened? And at the end of the day, you know, it, it is Harley realizing that she she was the one who who you know pushed herself in the ass that she jumped. It was of her own volition, which we thought was kind of an important statement to make, given the way that we were taking our version of the character in the show, but. Um, you know, that's the, I'm already skipping to the end of the episode. But, no, no, but it's but, cool. Uh, but yeah, it's, you know, we wanted this like romp inside this crazy world, which, you know, of course killed our art team because it's like, <laughs> we're basically, uh, once again, redesigning the entire uh, show uh, because we're, we're in a completely new environment that have sort of no uh, sound, like logic or physics or that kind of thing. They could, they sort of change up by design. Um, you know, so in one, uh, one space might be, uh, you know, Harley's museum of memories, which seems like this very sort of tame, sort of like almost austere, like museum. And then another, uh, level is this sort of carnival, um, that where every, uh, game and ride is operated by, uh, you know, the Joker. She's still yep. kind of obsessing about him in a certain way. And then you have her, her subconscious, which we wanted to basically look like, you know, it's, it's, it's looming, it's dark, it's scary. And, you know, our, uh, Bill Ray, uh, our art director did these great color backgrounds, um, that sort of had this like eye of Sauron thing going on. And this was an episode that like visually kept like changing up until the last minute, just because, uh, you know, it, it was so like design wise, like all over the map, like we had to figure out sort of like, I mean, this was, when I say we, I mean, this was not up to I mean, just or the, the weight of it was not on our shoulders or Dean. It was uh, Jen Coyle and her team, uh, you know, coming through and, and figuring out a way to make this all cohesive. And this was the first, I think this is the first episode. I mean, it's not the first episode we worked on, but our VFX artist, uh, Gus Juro, uh, who who does all of the like after effects and all the all the post stuff? He came in and just like completely changed how this episode looked and made it, I think, like really aesthetically pleasing. So that 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 team, I think, like really like elevated this episode in a way like they they hadn't sort of. I mean, they elevate every episode, but this was the one where we saw the the, the color footage coming back and we were kind of like, oh no, oh no, this looks like all over the map. And then they were able to like really work miracles with it. Um, Did but, you have to rewrite to make anything fit the visuals? No, no, it was, it was, it was no. Okay. <laughs> but like, for instance, like one of the, the backgrounds originally came in and it, they actually looked like um, in some, like the, like the sky in the carnival scene. Right it literally looked like gray matter, like brain tissue. Funny. Yeah. We, we really, really liked it. I think that was a pitch from um, Peter Girardi who uh, helps run uh, Warner Brothers animation. And, and, you know, on paper, I think we all really liked it. And then it kind of came back and it was just kind of like, 
it, it ended up being a little confusing. And also like the, the brain tissue just didn't quite look right, but that's like in the weed stuff. But, uh, but but yeah, like, so, so it was this opportunity to kind of like run through all of Harley's memories and, um, you know, one of the things, uh, this is, this is the, I was, I was thinking the other day, I was like, there has to be like another example of, of us getting told no, uh, (laughs) by, by the powers that be what we wanted to do. And there, there is one, there was one thing that happened in this episode where, uh, Harley, she's opening the, the doors to the, the, the like individual cells and, and seeing memories. And there's the memory of her dad getting pummeled by some goons on the front yard because he owes bookie money. Yep. And uh, and that was sort of a last minute addition because the early the earlier stuff, it, she literally opened it and it was the implication that that it was a it was a sex scene. I mean. You know, it was going to be like basically right before a sex scene. But the implication was that Joker used to make Harley dress up like Batman <laughs> 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 for that stuff. And then it was just like, this is like too icky. I think, <laughs> I, think we, I think we got like a little bit of pushback maybe and, and from, from you know, DC. And, and, and it wasn't even like absolutely not. They were like, maybe consider it. They were like, you know what? You're right. You're right. This, that's like, no, we're going to keep Joker as kind of like most like asexual. Like, <laughs> okay. so that was the original like weird memory that she walked into. But then we were like, oh, something from her childhood would be better. So we ended up doing that, which then ended up, you know, showing the, the character design foreshadowing her parents, uh, who you'll meet in episode 10. Um, yeah. So, uh, so, so that was one thing, and then of course the we, the Frankie Muniz. Uh, Wait, before you get to Frankie, because I want to yeah. mention about uh, when we're in the Museum of Memories and we first see the family portrait, you can't help but notice that Harley's family looks a hell of a lot like the Married with Children. Family. Absolutely, and I, and I love that. That's fantastic. That uh, you know, you know, she could she could have been Christina Applegate gone wrong. So. Exactly. And like, and, and that image was actually taken, the image that is hung in the museum is taken from our main titles of episode 10. We, we ended up, we had all that stuff oh, know, wow. cool. designed and everything. And then it was like, when we did make certain changes or when we were trying to like fill out, you know, the, the Easter eggs in the backgrounds of all of this like expansive museum. Yeah. We're like, okay, what can we what can we take from other episodes and like repurpose? So we're not having to, you know, <laughs> kill our artists having to like, you know, do new stuff for every scene. So um, yeah, that was one of the, one of the ideas and I thought it worked out. Um, yeah. So, awesome. uh, so then, yeah, yes, the, the 11 year old Harleys are kind of the enforcers of, uh, of her brain and everything. And then, you know, but the only way to tame them, is their 11 year old obsession and that being uh, Frankie Munoz and everything, which is brilliance again. And I'm assuming again, that's your casting guy being able to get Frankie. Yeah, that was, uh, that was wild. We were, we never thought that we'd get Frankie wanting to, you know, play himself. Uh, but, uh, but he totally did it. And, you know, the, the funny thing about that was uh, we got into the booth and we're recording with him and I'm like, oh, right. He's like a man now. But it sounds like man. <laughs> so we ended up having to like pitch up his voice a little bit. 
to sound like younger, you know, Malcolm in the Middle era, Frankie. Um, H.G. Cody Banks, Frankie, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that is Frankie Muniz uh, voicing himself. Outstanding. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, and, and then the other guest star um, who's part of the, the side story who plays Golda is Rhea Perlman. Cheers and uh, of course, uh, yeah. And then yes. through, you know, great Israel again. We're getting into a little bit of size past, and it happens later on with another episode as well that he was a CIA black op black ops person, and Golda is uh, one of his Israeli, you know, counterparts that he used to be able to handle, you know, dirty tricks with, and a cleaner, obviously, because yeah. as yeah. far as as far as size concerned, he's got you know five dead bodies there that he's got to. Uh, get rid of and everything because he's got to show the lair and uh, <laughs> Ivy's lair and then make it all, or no, I guess I, well, they're in the mall. Uh, yes, but they're, they're in the mall uh, by the end of, hold well, on. he takes them to the mall to get rid the of them. That's that. Yes. Cause it, cause this whole thing was reverse engineered. We were like, okay, we know that we want them. We're going to, we're going to get them evicted. We want to give them a proper lair, of course, by the end of this episode. Uh, where are they going to get it from? Well, size, you know, he's their landlord. He's like, you know, he's got property. And how are they going to convince Sai to give them this entire dead mall for a song, essentially? Well, they're going to guilt him for trying to burn their bodies by getting rid of the evidence from when they all passed out, uh, presumed dead in Ivy's uh, apartment. So, so yeah, they end up guilting Sai. Uh, after he and Golda attempt to burn their bodies in a giant uh, wood fire pizza oven in a mall food court. Um, yeah. That's awesome, man. No, absolutely. And again, you know, Harley, as you said, as we said earlier, she asserts herself and, uh, you know, kind of uh, rewrites her own origin, which is great. And, uh, and I, I just love the insanity of that, that she kind of becomes uh Harleen Quinzel again to, uh, to kind of, take over that moment and say, no, this isn't where it happened. It happened at the lair. It happened at the Joker's lair later. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Good, great stuff, man. Really funny and, and great action and, and very fitting for Harley. And again, but you know, the underlying thing is her emancipating herself from the Joker in this and everything. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. This was the, the first episode written by, uh, Adam Stein. Um, one of our writers who stayed with us the entire run, uh, directed by uh, Juan Mezzalion, who uh, who directed our pilot, direct, ended up directing a bunch of these episodes. But he was a guy who he came. Yeah, I mean, he's been doing this for years and years and years. But prior to us, he came from the Rick and Morty world. Okay. And I mean, this, given that sort of you know the mind fuckery that's happening in the episode, and given the environments and all of that, feeling like Rick and Morty esque. Uh, uh, one, you know, felt like the the perfect guy for the for the episode. So, no, honestly, man, great great parody of uh, being John Malkovich, and obviously, you know, you hit us over the head with that, but that's okay. I think that's fantastic, mm -hmm. and I and again, great idea. And as you say, they they come out of it okay, and they wake up and to to pay back Cy for almost killing him and stuff. Fine, we're gonna get the lair. We're gonna get them all to be our lair and everything. So now we got the new base of operations. So yeah, you got a crew, you got a lair. You don't have a nemesis per se, but that worked out. Well, she's lurking, and we'll <laughs> we'll get into that obviously uh, coming up. But yeah, 
honestly, funny, funny stuff. Great, great episode, man. And uh, yeah, that's that's all I have. Any other any other stories before we wrap up uh, on episode five here? No, let's jump into six. All right, fair enough. Well, that'll be uh, next time as uh, as we uh, cut these up into bite sized pieces for you to consume. Uh, no matter how, if you're uh, DVRing the show and, and then coming and watching uh, the rewatches or uh, on Word Balloon on the audio, I am putting these out as one big hunk every week, uh, much like uh, the way sci-fi is initially going to be showing. So I assume after this initial run, they probably will go episodic and, and you know, go to a more one a, one a day, you know, or one a week schedule. Um, I, I think it's I think they're doing it's it's four three three three. Yep. Yes. Um, and so then yeah. is that it? And then is it going to bounce back to do – do you know more? Because I know they've divulged a little bit more about HBO Max and, and what's going to wind up there. Um, yeah, I don't know I if, don't, Har- if I don't know wind up what they said. Pardon me? I don't know what's been publicly said yet. Okay. okay. So I don't know that I can comment on that. Fair enough, I man. I will say uh, still no word on season three. Okay. But with regards to a home for um, second window, there's some good news. Excellent. Yeah. Very yeah. good, man. No, I that's think great. that's all I can say. But but the show will will exist in perpetuity. Um, you know, it, hopefully on DC Universe, but then also additionally elsewhere. Okay, that's great to hear. And uh, man, I'll tell you, um, I think you know. I hope you. Uh, this is okay to say, and if not, I'll snip it. But. Um, you told me that uh, it was the second highest rated uh, show on Sci-Fi last Sunday. Yeah, that's what we heard. Like, like primetime included, and and so I, you know, we were super psyched about that. I think it did. I think it did really well on on Sci-Fi. Um, so yeah, I, I think a lot more people saw it. And I, and I noticed, you know, on on Twitter, uh, anecdotally, that you know there were a decent amount of people that that. We're like, I. What is this show? I've never, you know, I was flipping around, happened to land on this, and uh, yeah, and and so you know, that's amazing. <laughs> you know, Absolutely, we're still able to discover it. Hey man, you're up against some tough competition. You got the Bulls uh, documentary happening on ESPN, which I think is getting a lot of eyeballs, and New Rick and Morty. New Rick and Morty. So uh, yeah, man, tough competition. So. That's terrific, and again, I think I think that's great, um, and I'm I'm glad we're doing this, and uh, we'll move we'll move on to uh, the next episode, episode six. But uh, episode five was fantastic, man, and again, uh, people should be checking it out. And I hope uh, everyone's setting their DVRs each week to capture these. If this is how you're watching it for the first time, and I know DC Universe people were uh, way behind. Everyone, you know, we're mid we're mid season on season two, and uh, we'll do a future word balloon conversation about uh, season two and everything. But uh, thanks, man, as always, and uh, looking forward to talking about uh, Episode 6 when we get together next time. See you next time. Welcome back, everybody. It's time again for another Harley Quinn rewatch, and uh, we're reviewing Episode 6. You're a damn fine cop, Jim Gordon. Another uh, gem, I think, uh, when you get inside uh, now Commissioner Gordon's head. And uh, joining me again, the co-creator of Harley Quinn, the co-showrunner, it's Patrick Schumacher, everybody. Welcome back, Patrick. Hello. <laughs> and uh, man, the, honestly, this is one of the um, character ticks that I love about this, the show in general. And that is that Jim Gordon is always like, you know, just uh, one one uh, stress moment away from a complete nervous breakdown and uh, is really is really hurting on this show in a lot of ways. 
And I love yeah. that, uh, you know, this, and it's uh, Christopher Maloney, right? That's uh, playing uh, Jim Gordon. That's right. Yeah. Chris Maloney voices Jim Gordon and uh, no one does uh, unhinged, uh, fragile uh, cop figures better than <laughs> um, Chris Maloney. And uh, yeah, this was like the first episode where um, we were like, okay, Gordon is like, we know we, we like want Gordon to be in as many episodes as possible. Like he's, he's, uh, he's a gift. Um, and this was all like, this was one of the first episodes we actually tested. Um, you know, we can get, we can kind of get into the, the craziness of the episodes, but we were, we, you know, we as a sort of collective, the writers, the artists on the show, I think we kind of unanimously tapped this episode as like one of the, like the early favorites. And that's one of the reasons that we did test the episode. And we kind of also wanted to see like, well, what's the fan reaction going to be because, we do kind of retcon certain things with, you know, Clayface, we can get into that and like his abilities, you know, it is such a pathetic portrayal of Gordon. Like, are people going to be into this? Are they going to, you know, bristle at it? Yeah. So let's, you know, let's test it. We tested it. The animatic tested extremely well. And again, this was one of those indicators where it was like, all right, people are like really like fine with us playing fast and loose with this. And, and all of the mythology. And so, uh, so yeah, we were, we were like, let's, let's explore, uh, uh, Jim Gordon. And of course, like it laid the groundwork for the, just the phrase, you're, you're a, a damn fine cop or you're a damn good cop, which like variations of that, like are just runners throughout the entire, uh, the entire show. And Gordon's like, Gordon's, you know, so laden with like self doubt that he's, you know, constantly got to, gotta you know tell himself that he's a damn good cop or like hope that other people will validate him by telling him he's a damn good cop and like later episodes he's actually just there's a scene where he's like driving and he's just saying it's like almost sounds like the cadence of like a barbara streisand song but he's just like you're a damn good cop you're a damn good saving the city and it's just like, <laughs> so so full of self-doubt and uh, yeah, and this was a was the an, an early exemplar of that. And so you know, when the episode opens, we were like, okay, this is our like this is our opportunity to you know, she, Harley's got all the pieces of her crew um, together. Let's see them pull a heist, right? Um, and so the idea became, we're gonna rob Bruce Wayne, uh, we're gonna rob Wayne Tech. We want you know something something splashy to really you know get the it's a function of Harley wanting press, right? Like uh, sure. getting overshadowed by, by other, other crimes, uh, lesser crimes than, you know, what she's doing. And so, um, yeah, she ends up, um, this episode is so packed with stuff because we actually had an A and B and a C story. And wow. uh, yeah, it, it, we normally kind of do an A and B and a, like, a little C runner, but then we ended up, you know, giving Psycho his own story. We gave Harley <laughs> story and then Gordon with the hand but yep. so okay, the, the heist happens the heist goes wrong and then the big thing that that we uh you know retconned was okay if, if a piece of clay face <laughs> gets chopped off it's like a big enough piece let's say that that becomes sentient yes. and then if say it falls into the hands of the uh, GCPD it becomes a liability because that that in this case arm you know could 
rat them out, could reveal where their lair is, and then the cops are going to be swarming. Oh, they're going to have to move again. It's going to be a giant inconvenience. So this hand is a big liability. And we, you know, Clayface says that, and you're kind of like, what? Like, we haven't, even seen, we haven't even seen the hand yet, or the arm. It's the arm. Right. It's kind of, yeah. He's officially yeah. the arm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we meet the arm who, you know, uh, Gordon gets uh, in like a paper bag. <laughs> From Batman. And, uh, and Gordon meets this hand and Gordon's in a very lonely place. Uh, I think everyone right now in quarantine can very, uh, very much relate to uh, Gordon's loneliness. <laughs> And he needs a friend. Batman is not filling that role for him. And then Gordon's well, in the middle of interrogating this hand or the arm to tell them where Harley's crew is. The arm, voiced by Tom Kenny, voice of SpongeBob. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant voice actor. Yeah. Uh, voices the arm. And he is, it turns out to be this really, like, oddly, like, compassionate kind of childlike, which Clayface totally. says, you know, and that's the reason that he's going to be so easily influenced by, a, you know, a damn good cop like Gordon into just ratting out the crew and their whereabouts. But yeah, he becomes kind of compassionate and he, he becomes, the arm becomes a shoulder to cry on for Gordon. Absolutely. Uh, they bond in a they very, bond. they bond. Almost the father son. Yeah. 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 The montage is great. The montage is hilarious, man. Um, and uh, and and yeah, Gordon Gordon then becomes friends with with Clayface's arm, and and you know going so far as to just like lament about his uh, his underwhelming sex life <laughs> to the arm on the rooftop of the GCPD while the while the arm is just sipping a Slurpee, uh, <laughs> and yeah, he's, and and so he becomes he becomes Gordon's confidant. Gordon, you know, start, he starts to build Gordon's confidence a little bit more. And then, you know, Gordon's kind of over Batman by the end, right? He's, he's, he's a little bit of a sellsword when it comes to friendships, as, as you'll see, you know, him turning multiple times in the episode. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that was Tom Kenny as the arm. Um, what else can we talk about? Uh, well, I want to, first of all, because just Gordon's demeanor and stuff, it all fits again because he is a damn fine cop, but he, cop, but he is this lone wolf. From Batman Year One, he's the only straight arrow in a corrupt Gotham police force. So again, what you're doing with him is absolutely consistent with the character as we've known him in the modern era. But yeah, with this like kind of breaking point, just you know, moments away, if he doesn't hold it together, and yet, you know, really, you think about all the different things and stuff that you play with in season two with No Man's Land and stuff like that. Gordon is pushed to the limit and should be freaking out. Because he's dealing with all these weirdos on a daily basis. Who's blowing up Gotham today? You know, I mean, and again, you look at Batman's rogues. How does a police commissioner hold his shit together and and also lean on Batman to, to get things done? And also feeling, too, that, oh, this is my friend. We work, you know, we're a team. And it's like, no, we, we just work together. We're not, we're not friends. <laughs> and, you know, it's, oh, man, harsh. So I, I love all that. And also, um, I love... When Harley's trying to pull the the crew's pulling the heist with King Tut and everything, uh, that there is uh, social media feedback, yeah, uh, from the villains and stuff to the point too of the the uh, cowled critic who uh, gets revealed in the episode in a great way, and we've already seen him briefly, but we didn't realize it initially until we get the the reveal. But uh, that's another thing that we really didn't talk about a lot was 
uh, Giganta's uh, relationship with Doctor Psycho, <laughs> and that uh, Ivy and uh, and Psycho track uh, the Cal Critic down because, of course, the Cal Critics out there saying that uh, Ivy and Psycho are a romantic item. So Ivy has a stake in this as well to Absolutely. clear the air and everything. So all all that's really great stuff too, man. Yeah, yeah. I, it was a it was a great opportunity to get into Doctor Psycho's uh, domestic life. The pairing with him and Giganta that was pure. <laughs> basic size disparity comedy 101. Uh, How's that work uh, in the bedroom? Not well. (laughs) (laughs) I really, I really want to just take like uh, a, a, a muted cut of Toy Story 4 with Forky and just replace all of his lines with Dr. Psycho. (laughs) Tony Hale voices both Forky from the Toy Story series and dr psycho uh and that's yeah awesome i forgot um, that he was uh forky that's amazing uh yeah yeah not well um so <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we meet yeah we meet giganta uh psycho she's of course shacked up with a new lover uh who is clearly very good at kind of and eating ice yes cream. <laughs> And um, and Psycho is just so humiliated in this situation, so emasculated in this situation, and uh, and then yeah, he has a son uh, who hates him, uh, Herman Psycho. Um, who maybe Herman for God's sake? <laughs> yeah, goth um, kid, fat goth kid, obviously very very you know affected by. Uh, his parents not uh, being together anymore, and yeah, and but again, yeah. I love because he's not getting love from his father. But then I love Doctor Psycho's reasoning why he knows yeah. he's training a supervillain, and that no, you don't you don't become a supervillain from love, son. <laughs> you got yeah. you got to have uh, the the back end of uh, you know your dad and everything to kind of inspire you to hate. So uh, yeah. I get it, and very very after school special moment. Growing up uh, on the after school specials as we have, you know, yeah, and. and- <laughs> Uh, and, and I wanted to give a shout out to um, Sean Jim Brone from um, the Goldbergs. Son on the Goldbergs voices Herman, um, uh, and uh, and yeah, and so so Psycho and and Herman have this very, as you said, sort of after school special, heart to heart kind of makeup go to scene, and like, and we wanted to intercut that with. Um, with with Gordon kind of reuniting with Batman, kind of making amends. So there, you know, the 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 ending there was sort of by design that we could intercut between these, you know, thematically uh, kindred uh, A, B, and C stories, and and kind of tie them all up together in the, in this montage. And so, yeah, Gordon, of course, like the second that Batman tells him that uh, you know he, he he maybe considers him a friend. The hand is like who's who or the arm? Like, who's the arm? Like who gives a shit? And then <laughs> Gordon is back on with Batman because he's you know he's his hero. Sure. Uh, and and then the the poor arm just gets so unceremoniously reabsorbed back into. He just it's he's trying to say goodbye to Gordon. It's this emotional scene and. Then, <laughs> Just go back to Clayface's body. Absolutely. Poor, poor arm. Every time Uh, uh, Clayface, too, uh, has to uh, act, 
and and be someone else. It's always really it is I, your fellow policeman. Hello. And I and you can't help but love that, man. It's just that's Tudyk is great when he, he he just is doing the ham actor and stuff at full force. Yes. Yeah. Originally he he didn't walk in as a cop. He walked in literally as Bruce Springsteen. Yes, because that's it is I, Bruce. Bruce Springsteen. He didn't even say Stein. He was like, it is I, Bruce Springsteen, and you're someone absconded with my arm. And the cops go nuts. And then that became a rights issue, a likeness ah. issue. And so it ended up having to be uh, a cop mispronouncing Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but there you have it. I think it still worked. We were like, yeah, what would cop be really pissed about? Well, if somebody messes with Bruce Springsteen, the boss? Exactly. They all just leave. There's like a an attempted murder in process, and Harley like <laughs> just put hangs up the call, the nine one one call. Yep. It's, uh, yeah, the cops, you know, they're incompetent. Well, they're, they're big Springsteen fans. I can appreciate that. That's yeah. Uh, that's, I mean, that's like that's that's DefCon five. And I love oh, how uh, poor poor King Shark. And again, this is this is great because Funches is so funny, just <laughs> as happy roly poly King Shark, until you push his buttons, and then he totally goes psycho on you. And I, I <laughs> you know, it's once again uh, the uh, the uh, cowed critic is uh, now on on board with uh, Harley and her crew, and you know that's great. But uh, don't le- quit leaving a man behind. And it's oh shit, we left we left King Shark in prison. Oh no, that sequence. Yeah, that sequence of, of King Shark trying to, you know, uh, get into the GCPD and then just immediately getting tranquilized, you know, thrown, like given, you know, sort of a kangaroo court trial, thrown in the paddy wagon, thrown in jail. That was the first time that we kind of attempted a joke like that in the show. And we were, you know, we were nervous about it. And then it came, it's, it get, it got one of the biggest laughs of that episode. And I thought it worked out so well. And, you know, the direction in it is so great. And the editing in it is so great. Just the, the pacing makes that joke and just the statement, you know, uh, you know, the, <laughs> maybe not so subtle statement that we're trying to make in, in, in regards to race and the police's, uh, you know, treatment of, you know, certain races and that sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah. um, yeah, that's there. And, and I think made that, that joke a lot richer. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then Ron is always, always funny, uh, going from, I mean, his early standup, I mean, I didn't really know how early in his standup it was, but I mean, one of the first things that I saw of him was talking about, um, he does this bit where, you know, he's from Chicago, but now he's in Portland. He, at the time he was living in Portland, he's, he's in L.A. now at the time of the stand up talking about just how, you know, just gentle the people Portlandians or Portlanders are. And it's really changed him. And he's you know, he's so gentle. And then he reads this like poem that he wrote. Uh, and he just literally the poem is him screaming. I don't need new friends. And it's just like, it's like, it's the perfect, I mean, it's the perfect juxtaposition of Ron's, you know, quiet, like demure sort of default personality. And then this guy is screaming. 
<laughs> and they're like, well, we got to put that in somewhere. And so, yeah, shark, uh, King shark yelling at the other inmates for using uh, fresh fish uh, as a moniker to, uh, to uh, intimidate a new inmate really uh, sets off his, his triggers. So, or really triggers him. So he starts screaming at them all, of course. And, uh, and the inferior, the inferior toilet wine. I, I, that's that's always I, man. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't mean to make fun of uh, people that are stuck in jail. It's it's obviously and especially right now during the virus. But uh, toilet wine is always this very interesting little byproduct of uh, incarceration. So I can appreciate that. I thought that was I thought that was great when he was just sipping on the toilet wine. It's a little and inferior. That, that toilet wine is a is a real phenomenon or like something that I had in my head from a. SNL sketch from like 1992, but it's always <laughs> funny. Toilet wine, always funny. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, man, no, it was really, it was great. Another, another great episode. And again, I just, I love the idea of Jim, Jim Gordon, just, just one incident away from totally being in Arkham himself in the, in the, uh, in the straitjacket and stuff and, and losing it bad. So, uh, you know, thank God Clayface's arm was there to uh, get him through a tough time. Yeah, very beautiful. Yeah. So, very funny stuff, man. And we'll uh, we'll uh, reconvene and talk about uh, episode seven, uh, the line, uh, the next time we talk. And uh, interesting uh, things happen in that episode that uh, will reverberate uh, through the rest of the season. Uh, but uh, yeah, thanks as always, Patrick. And uh, looking forward to talking to you next time about episode seven. See you next time. Hey, everybody, we're back. It's uh, another Harley Quinn review of the first season, and this time it's Episode 7, The Line. And joining me, as always, uh, to review the episode is the co-creator of Harley Quinn and co-showrunner. It's Patrick Schumacher, everybody. Welcome back, Patrick. Hello again. And uh, an interesting uh, episode that uh, we learn right away that uh, the Queen of Fables, who has become a bit of an ally of Harley's and a mentor in a lot of ways of how to finally get into the Legion of Doom, is uh, being well being released from her uh, prison of the uh, the tax code book that she's been stuck in and chain smoking from all this time. Wanda Sykes, uh, excellent as the queen, and uh, at the fr- at first it seems like okay, great, she's going to be out, and she thinks she's getting out, and then all of a sudden uh, the manacles are uh, put on her, and it's like no, 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 you you know you're out of the tax code, but uh, you're heading to Arkham, and that doesn't seem right to Harley. So Harley wants to spring her. Yeah, she got duped by the system. And uh, yeah, so Harley wants Caesar as a mentor figure. She's like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna get her out of there. And so uh, yeah, we got Queen of Fables and the Hannibal Lecter uh, hockey mask and manacles and all that. Big uh, big truck crash. That was Tony Hale voicing uh, voicing one of the guards doing a second voice as one of the guards when he's she's he's lighting the cigarette for her and. He, drops it and he's like oopsies <laughs> and uh and uh yeah and so so you know this episode is a, a continuation of just that theme of of identity and harley trying to figure out who she is and you know it brings up the question of you know yeah i'm a bad guy but you know how evil am i and harley's you know at this point you know she's still raring to go ready to like take on the world and for her you know probably incorrectly, but uh, for her, it, she, she thinks that equates to like, Oh yeah, I'm evil. I'm evil. Of course I'm evil, you know? And, and so, uh, so she, you know, is in, in cahoots with the uh, queen of fables wants to make, wants to kind of partner up with her. And then Ivy, you know, being always the, the voice of reason, you know, is, is there to tell her, well, you know, you're, you're like 
broadcast bad. She's cable bad. As we look over and see that she's literally cooking Humpty Dumpty. She's over an open flame. Um, she's, she is not, you know, very cavalier in, in killing anyone as, as you saw in the episode. Um, you know, any, any creature, no, no creature too, too big or intelligent or whatever that for Queen of Fables to massacre. Um, yeah, she is just a, a, you know, the, the perfect sociopath, but very funny, of course, because Wanda Sykes voices her and, uh, and yeah, she's just, man, she's just mean. She's just mean. But you gotta be mean to be able to take down the Justice League as she was able to, and and you know, uh, yeah, and also I just, the juxtaposition of being the Queen of Fables and having all these wonderful fairy tale characters that um, either she tortures like poor Humpty Dumpty, uh, or uh, the the ones that are willing to do her evil bidding, whether it's the Big Bad Wolf or uh, even um, the oh, and I've got it right here. Uh, well, of course, first of all, I love uh, <laughs> that she's got the uh, the three little pigs. Uh, doing uh, doing the doing cleanup after, yeah, 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 that's yeah. very, very. Uh, am I right? Very Guy Ritchie snatch kind of reference in terms of because I had never heard of pigs being vicious until I saw Snatch, and it makes sense because yeah, they can be very feral if you keep them hungry and stuff, and just fade them to the pigs. I love that scene in uh, Snatch. That's fantastic. Yeah, that and uh, the uh, it was Hannibal. Was it Hannibal? Yeah, it was Hannibal. Where. Uh, uh, Gary Oldman's character, who's in all those great that great prosthetics, uh, Mason Verger, I think was his name, I think, and he's and he's got the the pigs that he feeds people to. Definitely inspired by that. A lot of a lot of Hannibal stuff in in this episode. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we were like, okay, what's like, you know? So okay, Harley's gonna you know defy Ivy's advice yet again. Uh, you know, she's going to make Queen of Fables part of her crew. She, you know, she needs her. Cause like I said, it's like, you know, she's the perfect sociopath and she's, you know, she's willing to do anything. And, you know, the best criminals are, you know, probably those without a conscience. Uh, so, uh, and Queen of Fables is definitely that. So we're like, all right, what if she massacres a family reunion? <laughs> and we're like, okay. And, 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 and what's that thing? It was all reverse engineered, honestly, from her uh, having to battle someone with, you know, immense powers um, <laughs> who, uh, you know, was, of course, exacting his revenge for, uh, for her having killed his entire family. And so that brings us to Jason Praxis, who is maybe, I mean, we've got, we've definitely, we dabble in the obscure DC canon. I was going to ask. I, 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 he's not coming to mind. So help me out with the Praxis family if they are. I'm okay. The Praxis family is not a thing okay. <laughs> outside of our show. The, but Jason Praxis was a member of Justice League Europe, Justice League International, I believe. Oh, probably. I think he was created. I should just, I should be looking this up right now, but he was, he, he looks in the show like pretty much as he looks in the books. And he was, uh, he's, he's, he's definitely a product of the nineties. I want to say somewhere between like 91 and like 96 was his creation. Um, and his powers are, are are a little bit nebulous as well. And so, so at, at any rate, we were like, we need it. We literally reverse engineered it because we were like, we need a character with a ponytail 
because we need we need this misdirect. There he is. I see it? Yeah, there you go. I got him. Yeah, we need. I mean, very '90s looking character. Yes, we need a character with a ponytail because we need there to be this, you know, mistaken identity that there's there's one, you know, member of the Praxis family that Harley stumbles upon that the Queen of Fables did not slaughter. Queen of Fables asks Harley, "Is everybody dead?" And everybody needs to be dead, so there's no trace. And Harley sees what she thinks is this cowering little girl under a uh, a table, but as it turns out, it's it's a it's a, kind of like a big dude who happens to have like a a ponytail. <laughs> We're it like, was- all right, Jason Praxis. Nobody's going to really mind if we retcon Jason Praxis. And to this day, I have not gotten any guff from the Praxis heads out there. That's what? outstanding, man. I, I, he was a, he was a, he was a uh, Portland detective who gets his powers uh, and has the the powers that you display in the cartoon and everything like that. I again, I think it's during my blind spot because I did not remember him at all. And you know, it's it is from that period of the the mid nineties and stuff where they were trying to create some new new heroes here and there and stuff like that. It was so that was that's fantastic. I, I yeah, I think that's that's a great throwback, man. Excellent. That, yeah, that was one where I was definitely like, I am unfamiliar with this character up to this point. But uh, thank you, uh, DC Comics Compendium of Characters. For- is that, literally, is that how you found him? Because- it was literally like, yeah, I mean, we didn't have to do this very often, but we literally had sort of like the omnibus of, of DC characters just sitting on the writer's room table. Uh, you know, and so, yeah, like, you know, it's of course you you have toys and books and everything to distract you from actually doing the work. <laughs> so you'd always see some some one of the writers just like paging through it, and you know, just being like, "Who the hell is Condiment King? That's really, that's real. That's real." <laughs> <laughs> well, so did you want somebody with? telekinetic energy you know and, and energy powers or it didn't matter you just wanted some sort of villain what were you you know what were you looking yeah for? we well no i think it, it it kind of was i it's it's honestly it's a little bit nebulous at this point because it was probably like two years ago that we wrote yeah. it but you know as with many you know stories you know things come together sort of from a bunch of different places during the process and and you end up sort of recombining things to to come up with something new so i i want to say that that we did need someone with sort of electricity powers because we knew that like the device that Harley was stole from uh cord industries was going to be, um, uh, you know, uh, something that deflects energy. So anything sort of in the, uh, electromagnetic spectrum was fine. And then we needed somebody with a ponytail and lo and behold, Jason Praxis on the, on the J or the P page. I can't remember if they go last name or first name first in the book. But there he was, and we're like, "You just, you just saved this episode, book." Nice going. That's excellent. They're very, very appropriate as opposed to the tax code book. It is the DC compendium that uh, saved the day. That's, that's exactly man. yeah. So I think we we ended up introducing Jason Praxis to a, to a decent uh, amount of people <laughs> watching the show, uh, and then we introduced the uh, Mouse Assassin, of course, uh, <laughs> one of Cinderella's mice. And then, exactly. So we go we go from Umpty Dumpty to one of Cinderella's mice. Is, she, is he really up to the job? And he's a badass little mouse. Total badass. Like clearly has been doing mercenary work, can suck down an entire 
cigarette in one puff. Uh, that poor son of a bitch. He needs yep. to have a cousin because he needs to come back somewhere. We just love the idea that he was like this this French mercenary. He does he, he chirps, but it's also in French. I think so. I think that's what we did. Well, he's got the beret, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At one point, we had him like chirping, and then it was in French, and we had the French crossed out, and that then you saw the English, and it was just like, ah, people will get it if it's just in French. So. <laughs> that's awesome. And meanwhile, uh, Ivy and uh, Kite Man are uh, going on a date, and I, Ivy uh, dressing down for the occasion does not want anyone to know that she's out in public with Kaiman. She is in incognito mode because, uh, yeah, up to this point, she really hates herself for having uh, any feelings for Kite Man, who, you know, as far as, uh, you know, we were concerned probably at the time of writing it, and also as far as the audience is definitely concerned watching it, Kite Man is just kind of a douche. <laughs> He's just... He's just kind of a douchey frat guy and he likes 69 jokes as evidenced by his apartment number. Uh, that joke uh, kills me every time. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, I feel like I should credit Tom Hindman, one of the writers, uh, with that joke. I, I Feeling like credit goes to him. He wrote, actually, episode six. I didn't give him a shout out on our last episode. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, he was uh, Tom. Tom, uh, someone we we have known for several years, and uh, uh, he was actually our assistant for a while. And uh, and he's a really talented writer, and we were really glad to be able to staff him on Harley, which was his first staffing job. And then he ended up writing a bunch of our episodes. So, knowing so. as I do how some TV writers' offices work, that's great when an assistant can graduate and become a writer. And I know a couple other instances of that that I've. I'm aware of, so that's excellent. Yeah, yeah, no, it was my, it was much deserved, and uh, and uh, and then the writer of this episode uh, is Laura Moran, and uh, we've we've known Laura since she was a writer's assistant on uh, the show How to Be a Gentleman that we worked on uh, at CBS um, in like 2010. So okay. Laura has really risen up through the ranks, and when she came to us. Um, uh, to work on the show or, you know, when, when we called her seeing if she'd have any interest, she was a uh, kind of like a producer level uh, writer at the time. So yeah, it's, it's cool having, you know, having worked in television for, you know, the better part of like 10 years now, it's, you, you've, you've seen people, you know, ascend through the ranks and it's pretty cool. That's excellent. Yeah. yeah Laura wrote this episode and it was uh, directed uh, again by uh, Juan Mezzaleon. Um who uh, who who uh, gave us uh, an extremely graphic, uh, more so than than already in the show, um, sequence of the Praxis family being killed. It was so gory. <laughs> it was even more over the top than was than was in there now, and uh, everybody sort of. You know, unanimously came to the conclusion that uh, okay, maybe we've taken it too far. The show, the show's relying less and less on gore now, and 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 so you know, of course, we still have it. We still have it. You got Queen of Fables ashing a cigarette in the eye socket of a decapitated head, um, nonchalantly just hanging out, having a smoke when Harley and the crew come back from uh, from their heist. So, um, yeah, anyways, Juan doing a great job, uh, 
with, with this episode, Laura, great script for this episode. Um, uh, yeah. And then of course the gore of, I, I think we were kind of like, we, we want to save the really gory moment for Jason practices, ultimate demise. <laughs> yeah. Thinks that the queen of fables is out of their lives. Uh, you know, she's too, too rich for Harley's blood, too evil. It's not Harley's brand of evil. And, uh, but she's going to let her walk. She's not going to, you know, which may, you know, as queen of fables says, like you're making a big mistake, keeping me alive. Like I said, you got to end the bloodline. Maybe, (laughs) maybe not. She's going to come back in a later episode. We'll see, I guess. I Uh, guess. but, But then of course, uh, Jason Praxis is uh you think that that he's he's uh he's gonna live on, that maybe there's some hope that he's gonna recover from the trauma of his entire family being massacred, and then yeah. little spear launches right out of his mouth because she's come back in to end the bloodline. She almost didn't take her own advice, kills Jason Praxis in one of the most violent deaths of the series. <laughs> And his limp body just kind of sloughs off of the tip of her scepter. It's so shocking. Yeah. Dude, it's <laughs> honestly, again, it's uh, it blows my mind that the powers that be are like, yeah, all right. You know, and again, that you, it sounds like uh, of your own devices are like, all right, maybe the, the, the practice reunion massacre is a little, let's, let's tone it down. And that it's, you know, you guys in the writer's room or, or, or after seeing visuals, maybe like, all right, let's, let's, let's ease back a little bit here. That started as a note from the executives at the studio. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But look, I mean, we, you know, you have to take every note in faith and we're sure. like, all right, maybe well, we went a little too far. You're batting well over 500. In ter- I mean, really close to like 800 or 900 where it's nine out of 10 times. They're like, that's fine. That's fine. Maybe this one, not so much. Maybe this one, not so much. And yeah. it's so good for you, man. And great, again, that these executives understand what, what you guys are making and are like, no, I think our audience can handle it. And again, I'm glad that – I don't know. Did you test anything for this episode? Uh, no. The episodes that we tested were um, the pilot – um, the uh bar mitzvah episode and uh Gordon in the arm. Uh, so we tested those three because we were like, we want to go pilot obviously for like just understanding the show, getting sure. into the show. Well, that's important. Uh, the second episode, um, again, because just in terms of like uh understanding of like this is serialized and where's the show to go. And then six was just like, well, let's see. We think a, we think it's really funny. B, like it gets weird. So let's test the parameters of like how weird can we get with the show. And as it turns out, way weirder than even the arm episode. <laughs> um, as you'll see in episodes that have not even aired on DC Universe yet, it gets real weird. Ooh, that's exciting to hear, man. Now we we did a, a talk about season two. Uh, to remind uh, viewers and listeners, uh, the first two episodes of season two. And then, um, you know, I, I got busy. And also uh, when I heard that, uh, you know, Harley was going to be on sci-fi and knowing that a bigger audience was going to be there and stuff, I'm like, All right, well, let's let's go back because there really are 13 episodes to cover. So we'll, we'll do a, probably a season two review episode in the future. 
But uh, for now, I'm, I'm thrilled that we're doing these ones for the, the individual episodes. And uh, yeah, man, now we will move on then, uh, when we talk next time to episode eight, where uh, now finally it seems like uh, Harley has been making enough noise over these seven episodes that the Legion of Doom is finally taking notice and might actually be taking Harley and her career seriously. But we'll explore that more in episode eight. So uh, for the meantime, uh, thank you again for, uh, for joining me, and uh, I look forward to our next conversation. See you next time. Patrick Schumacher, expect another conversation next week at this time on Word Balloon as we look at episodes 8, 9, and 10, and then the following week, 11, 12, and 13 for season one. And then once um, the uh, second season wraps up, we'll have a season two wrap uh, conversation with Patrick as well. Thanks a lot for listening today to Word Balloon, all brought to you by my friends, the League of Word Balloon listeners, the subscribers of Word Balloon via Patreon. Do you like what I'm doing here at Word Balloon? Is it worth a dollar a month to you? Is it worth the price of a comic book a month? If you think so, if you can swing it, please consider a subscription to Word Balloon via Patreon, patreon.com slash Word Balloon. Thank you, League. Thank you, Aftershock Comics, for your great support as well. These past few years, uh, there's a new conversation with Joe Pruitt that I did uh, that was released yesterday as part of my 15th anniversary. It was a great conversation, and he discusses the philosophy of Aftershock, which uh, is continuing now that... Uh, uh, everyone is back, and uh, we're going to be expecting new books from Diamond in the next couple of weeks. Aftershock will be there with Disaster Incorporated debuting on May 20th. And on May 27th, you will see the debut of Bad Blood. Two new first issues from Aftershock Comics to go along with all the classics over there. From Animosity, from Marguerite Bennett, and uh, Baby Teeth from Donnie Cates. And A Walk Through Hell from Garth Ennis and Gordon Suzuka. A lot of great Garth Ennis product, a lot of great Colin Bunn product, uh, tons of books from Marguerite Bennett, uh, Stephanie Phillips doing wonderful things as well, like uh, Descendants and her new Artemis and the Assassins that now is back on schedule. That was one of the last books that was released before the shutdown from Aftershock. Go to their website, check out all the great books. You'll find full story descriptions, preview pages of art, and the diamond codes on how to order these books through your local shop at AftershockComics.com. Thanks again for listening. Uh, we're talking to Mike Oming tonight, Monday night, uh, on a new Word Balloon live video chat. We've got more video chats coming later on this week, and uh, I look forward to uh, presenting those to you and uh, you know, sharing with you some interesting uh, programming for Word Balloon. 15th anniversary month, lots of interesting things happening in Word Balloon, and I thank you for being along on the ride for as long as you've been on, whether you're a newcomer or you've uh, been on for the full 15 years, I thank you greatly for listening and uh, your attention. Until next time, thank you. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2020. Stay safe, stay healthy. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.